Who's the world's favorite accessible superhero? This guy is so smart. He built so much fame and then basically vertically integrated all the pieces around him, mainly with like a studio. And this man, his name is Ryan Reynolds. You know, he's the sexiest man alive. He's rich. He's ripped. He's the biggest movie star. You know, you're supposed to hate this guy, but people love this guy because he's like, he's, he's just him everywhere. That's actually been their biggest lever of growth is the way that they do marketing is just very Ryan. It's such a good example of how to be on brand without having to have everything be so polished and buttoned up. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Limited Supply listeners should think about adding a mobile app to their marketing mix. Mobile apps can be customized by Tapcard, and they can improve your retention strategy and make your customers stickier. And it'll provide a really smooth way for customers to shop online, and it's the best way to engage customers wherever they are. Limited Supply listeners can get two months free at tapcart.com slash limited. Okay, Nick, Limited Supply Season 3, Episode 12, last episode of the season. It's going to be a juicy one, a lot of stuff to talk about. It is going to be a good one. Your camera looks like you're at a gas station on the CCTV can. (laughs) (laughs) I am. You know, years, if not decades of that type of footage uh, with me. Actually, did you, you know, my favorite videos to watch on YouTube are, you know, like police chases. Somebody pulls, pulls somebody over in a DUI and it's like 17 minutes long, uh, which reminded me with the gas station camera. Did you ever catch people like trying to steal stuff? And if so, what was the tell? I caught them like red handed. Uh, I remember that one guy, I was probably 12 and I was like, you need to leave now and don't ever come back. It was mainly that type of punishment. It wasn't like, okay, great. Although I do think that back then the police would do something about that kind of stuff. They might be like, you know, I don't know, it could be a fine or arrest you or something. But, you know, I'm not going to call the police over a $5 item. I was just like, don't ever come back here. But yeah, I specifically remember that. And, you know, what was the tell? You know, they were standing really close to the counter and they were trying to get you to turn your back or they were just like looking at you and something felt suspicious. Like, you know, when you get the feeling where you're like, something here isn't right, it felt that way with the guy that I'm thinking about right now. I remember once accidentally stealing something, like putting a pack of gum in my pocket so that I could take it to the register yeah. and just getting called outside and leaving. And then later I went home and I was like, oh, fuck, I stole something. Maybe I should go back. And, and I was like, no, that's fine. When was that? When, when- <laughs> <laughs> this was uh this was last week no I'm just yeah, it was probably like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no this was probably this was when i was in san diego so probably over a decade gotcha gotcha okay nick bunch of stuff to talk about today uh, i'm gonna go in a little bit of reverse order on the agenda that i've got all birds crazy what's happening at all birds i want to get into that some stuff at birchbox uh which is acquired by a company called femtech uh stuff going on at stripe they cl- uh, closed around some mattress stuff some coffee stuff but before we get to any of that, I want to talk about a Slack. This is our last episode of season three. We're taking a quick break between season three and season four. Oh, we're going to start a Slack channel, an e-commerce focused Slack channel where people can reach out to you and I and communicate with each other and can sign up for it. What's the, what's the URL here? It's uh, limitedsupplypod.com. Or if for any reason that doesn't work, and again, we're recording this episode a couple of weeks before this comes out. So if for any reason that URL is not working, the backup will just be nick.co slash slack. But either will work and hopefully the first one works. Also, by the way, I, I had to tell you, you would be so proud. Guess how much I paid for this domain? $8.99. One penny. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. You found a good coupon code? <laughs> yeah, GoDaddy new customer special. Okay, gotcha. But look, you must have 50, you just have, how are they still allowing you to do a new customer special? You use. I just made a different account. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got 14 GoDaddy accounts. <laughs> uh, I'm excited about that Slack channel. Um, yeah, me too. Honestly, the uh, you know I have one Slack channel that I started a while ago, and it's like there's probably 80 people in there, but it's all it's so productive. Like it's not what I think a lot of people think when they get into a Slack channel, which is just constant chatter amongst a bunch of nerds. Like these nerds are working, and so it's more just questions. Hey, what do you think? You know, what what should somebody do in this instance? Oh, uh, uh, what do we use for this app? Or, or what are your experiences with a firm? 
And um, it's so useful to just have access to and be able to get answers quickly. That's awesome. Uh, great. I'm excited about ours. I'm going to be super active in it. Uh, so please join and communicate with us. Really quickly, I got a couple of things that I think I should put on the agenda as well. And we can decide which ones we get to. One is the world's favorite accessible superhero. The other one is a multi-billion dollar company that most people who's, who are listening to this have never heard of. Well, let's start with the Stripe stuff because this is super interesting and uh, just happened this last week, if that's okay with you. Yes, everyone knows Stripe. Stripe is, you know, one of the world's best privately held companies, um, has been private for a really long time. I think they explored some sort of IPO last year. I heard rumors that they're exploring something again next year as well. Two years ago, they raised money, a Series H, I think it was, and they raised it at $95 billion valuation. That was two years ago. Is that the eighth round? Yeah, I think so. Because I is nine. So yeah, I think H is eight. Uh, but I'm not sure if like that's, you know, I, I feel like when you're raising this much money, I'm not sure if every round counts as like a letter, you know? Like you might be like, oh yeah, we add another $10 million from something. I'm like, sure. We let Shopify invest. I'm not sure if that's a separate series. Any case, it was $95 billion two years ago. And they just raised again in this past week or maybe two, yeah, last eight days at a $50 billion valuation. So about half of the valuation that they were trading at two years ago. That's not that surprising. A bunch of businesses have fallen off of a cliff when it comes to valuation. And we're going to get into a couple of those later on. Uh, but I thought what was even more interesting was although they raised it $95 billion in like 2020, they were actually trading it around $180 billion in like the secondary market. Like I think if you uh, invested in something like $40 a share, what up to $80 a share? Or maybe you have those numbers 2 x but basically, look, they raised at $95 billion and they were trading at $180 billion until about a year ago. And now the valuation is $50 billion. So they've actually dropped nearly 75% in value. So for people like me who have no idea what the secondary market is and also how you buy it, you don't have to disclose the name of the company, but what is the secondary market and how are you even seeing this? Good question. The secondary market is a bunch of schmucks like me who email back and forth saying, hey, uh, here is a stock of Clavio or Stripe or some other privately held company that's for sale. And so, uh, you know, if you invest enough, randomly somebody will reach out and say, hey, Nick, I want to sell Clavio shares. It's not publicly traded. You can't find it publicly. Uh, but I own some either because I was a former employee or I'm an investor or I was an advisor. Uh, you know, I've been holding on to them for a really long time. I need to buy a house. I need to put my kid through college. I want to uh, go vacate. I want to like, you know, live in Europe for the rest of my life and be rich. Uh, Nick, I'm selling them to you. And like, you know, a lot, sometimes it'll be uh, in a premium to the last round because the company is doing really well. Sometimes it'll be at a discount to the last round because the company is doing poorly. So when Stripe raised it a $95 billion valuation, I think in like 2021 or late 2020, a year later, people were selling on the secondary market, emailing each other back and forth saying, hey, I'll sell it to you, but I want a $180 billion valuation, not just a $95 billion valuation. Because Stripe was so phenomenally attractive and everyone to own shares that. Similarly, Clavio used to trade at like a $10 billion valuation. I think that's where they raised money at last. Now it trades at like sub $5 billion valuation on the secondary. Wow. Do you know the difference between pref and common, like preferred shares and common? I'm assuming preferred shares, they go out first, they get paid first, distributions first. Exactly. Yeah, they get paid first. So let's say you invest $10 million in a $100 million company. You usually get preferred shares. You know, Clavio has only common shares no preferred shares. And the difference between those is like, let's say you invest $10 million in a company at a $100 million valuation, and it ends up selling for $12 million. Well, you bought 10% of the business beforehand. You bought $10 million at a $100 million valuation. You own 10% of the business. Well, now it sells for $12 million. How much should you get back? What would be fair? 1.2. 1.2. Well, usually what almost always happens now is you actually get all 10 million back and the other guys only get 2 million because you have preferred shares as an investor. I didn't understand that was per the preferred shares. Yeah. So in this instance, like if you had $10 million of preferred shares, you'd get your $10 million. You wouldn't get 10% of the business, the 1.2 million. You'd get all 10 million of your money back because you get paid first. The minimum you're going to get is 10 million if it sells for more than 10. When I worked in a startup, this is a tech company. They touted that like all the stock was common stock. You know, what's the benefit of that? 
Yeah, that means that the preferred guys get nothing before employees. So like Clavio only has common stock. But like, what's the benefit to like the investors or the executives that hold the majority? Yeah, it's there's no not a benefit to the investors. It's actually worse for the investors. The only reason uh, that investors agree to it is if the company is a really hot, like they really want to invest and the company has a lot of demand for their stock. And so they say, okay, actually, we're only agreeing to th- these terms. So like Clavio was like, we only want common shares. No one will have preferred shares. If you're not okay with that, don't invest. We don't care about you. There's a lot of other people who want to invest in our business. Stripe in their $95 billion valuation, I was reading this today on like The Guardian, when they raised $95 billion two years ago, they had a term in there that said, you're locked up from selling your shares for four years after IPO. Meaning, let's say they go, oh, let's say they IPO tomorrow. For four years as an investor, if you're an investor in Stripe today, you cannot sell your shares for four years. In the uh, uh, last round that they did, I think it closed eight days ago or a couple of weeks ago, they removed that term. The lockup is only six months, which is pretty standard, uh, which is like a market standard. So they have a lot less leverage. And that's just basically so when they IPO, nobody is just like dumping it and it takes Correct. The stock. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so like, you know, two years ago, they had a ton of leverage and say, you have to be locked up for four years. Today, they have a lot less leverage. Their valuation is cut by a lot and they don't have that lockup provision either. You know, what's interesting is like, so if I look at like Payoneer or PayPal, both trades somewhere around three to four X last year's revenue or 2021 revenue. And Stripe is almost... uh at the 48 or 50 billion valuation, it's about four, a little over four times. But at 95, that's almost eight times. That is, yeah, uh, that's a great segue into our next. Let's talk about Allbirds really quickly because they announced earnings and I've been doing like a deep dive on them recently. And um, I, I just want to talk to you about it to get your thoughts. So yeah, I think valuations have corrected materially in the last two years. Like two years ago, PayPal was probably trading a lot higher. But uh, yeah, like what? where was PayPal two years ago in terms of earnings? PayPal, so... Like PayPal stock in the last one year is down 34%. So it was a lot higher valuation too. Yeah, definitely peaked, it looks like, around July 2021. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about Allbirds really quickly. Yeah. Allbirds is, you know, socially acceptable sweatpants for your feet. Uh, yeah. Comfortable shoes. Probably. Everyone knows about them. They were huge in San Francisco when you and I live. When at least when I lived there, I'm not. Yes, were they yeah. huge when you? Yeah, okay. Um, so when they went, they went public a couple years ago, and they had a four billion dollar valuation. Um, like they started trading at uh, fifteen dollars a share, and they soared to thirty three dollars a share the first day they launched. So they were uh, valued at four billion dollars. How long ago was this? Probably in, in November. This was uh, yeah, November that. Yeah. So how long ago is that? A year, 18 months ago, less than 18 months ago. Yeah. $4 billion valuation today, under $200 million valuation. It's so insane. lost 3.8 billion. But I wanted to go over the, some of the numbers with you because they uh, came out with their annual report. And I thought it was really interesting. A couple episodes ago, do you remember we talked about how they had a new CFO and that CFO yeah. was making? Yeah. So anyway, I was like digging into their annual report and this is what they say. They say their average customer, do you want to guess the average age of their customers? Like, give me a decade range. Uh, 40s. 30 to 40. So in their 30s. Uh, what's the male-female ratio, you think? Man, like maybe 30% male, 20% male. And 80% female? Yeah, guess what else would it be? <laughs> yeah. They, they say it's 50-50, actually. That was my first thought. But I figured that the finance bros and the tech bros that think Allbirds is awesome to wear... Are represent such a small percentage, but I guess all their customers are these like tech and finance bros. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like ninety eight percent men because I thought it would all be tech and tech bros. But I guess it, it's more evenly distributed. It's like the Marin moms, the San Francisco moms love that's right. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Um, okay, so a few more d- uh, details. Uh, in 2020, they had 22 stores. Yeah. In 2021, they had 35 stores. And in 2022, they had 58 stores. So they basically doubled the number of stores they've had in the past two years. And then I want to give you some revenue numbers. Yeah. 2021, $277 million in revenue. Okay. 52 million of that was from stores. Uh, wow. 
And how many stores did you say they had? They had 35 stores and 52 million in revenue from those stores. Wow. So That's about, pretty one, solid. about a million and a half in revenue per store. That's pretty good. Is it? That's about like, I mean, look, some of these stores opened up during the year. Uh, so it's unclear. Like, you know, I don't know how many stores they had every month. Let's say it's $2 million in revenue per store. I'm not sure that's very uh, per year or like they're annualizing that. I'm not sure that's very good. Like $150,000 a month in sales. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I was saying it was good because my context is a really popular coffee shop here will make 1.5 in their best store. But yeah, I mean, that AOV also is like $7. Whereas these are you talking about Blank Street? No, no, a different one. Yeah, yeah. But um, shocked if it were Blank Street. Okay, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess that is pretty low. I mean, I feel like I'm every time I've walked past Allbirds, San Francisco or New York, especially here in Soho, there's never anybody inside. Really? Yeah, it's fairly empty for the most part. Every time I have walked in, also just to go look at the wall, it's fairly empty. Maybe. At max, like five people in there looking at shoes. That's so interesting. I feel like um, the Allbirds in San Francisco, when I used to go, was, like it was below their office. Their office was in like, like right when you get get north of like Fidei. I forgot what that area is called now, but like right there, their office was above a store. And every time I'd walk in there, there were, it was packed, mostly of Asian tourists, actually. It reminded me of like Louis Vuitton, except a much more accessible price point. Let me tell you a few other stats. So um, they did 52 million in revenue from stores in 2021. I don't know how much they did in stores from 2022. Their average rent per store is $20,000. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Like that Soho store, that $20,000 seems like a very reasonable price, but I don't, I don't know. Like it's probably more than that Soho store. They did $297 million in revenue last year. Okay. So basically $300 million in revenue. But when they announced their earnings, their stock fell off of a cliff because they said that the fourth quarter of 2022 was the first time they did less in sales than uh, a quarter a year ago. So it's the first time they experienced negative growth. Uh, does that make sense? Like they did more revenue yeah. in Q4 2021 than they did in Q4 2022. Right. And their gross margin is 43.5%. So 57%. You know what this reminds me of is like the, you know how the, the SAT test as a kid, it's not really testing your intelligence. It's testing like how well you take the test, which I feel like similarly, Q4 2022, they're not the only company that didn't beat their 2021 numbers. Almost every company didn't beat their 2021 Q4 numbers. And it's mainly Wall Street, right? That yeah. determines stock prices and yeah, going up. Why do they get punished so much? Yeah. Why do they get punished for that? Like that almost sets it up to where a non-software or like non-kind of service company that just grows slowly wouldn't basically work. Is that right? I think it would work. I think uh, the problem with Allbirds is that they're supposed to be super high growth. They're a high growth young startup, right? Like it's not like Nike where everyone's got a pair and you're like, did you come out with new styles that captivated the market? It's like, this is a young company that's doing $300 million in revenue. You're not already, you're not growing, you're losing money and you're not growing. How are we going to make money on this business if you can't grow top line and you're losing a fortune? Did they say how many employees work at Allbirds? Like, do we know the uh, revenue per employee? I don't know the revenue per employee. They, I'm sure they say it or how many employees work there because I think you have to legally disclose that. In 2021, they did 7.9 million in revenue per store. In 2022, it's 5.1 million. And basically in 2023, they're like, we're done opening up new stores. New stores are not working for us. So here are the changes they made. Here's what I thought was really interesting. They're like, revenue is not doing, like our revenue went down in Q4. We have a bunch of first generation apparel. Like we got into like athleisure and that's not working for us right now. Like people don't love our athleisure products. So we're not going to really do that anymore. They said, we're only opening up three stores in 2023. And all of those are the stores that we signed a lease for in 2022. We wouldn't do it if uh, we hadn't signed those leases basically, because they're like stores aren't working for us. Then they said internationally before they were like, we're going to open up every market ourselves. We're not going to go wholesale. Now they're like, fuck international. We're going to sell it wholesale. We're not going to go to like Japan and try and sell shoes in Japan. We're going to find some wholesaler who can sell our shoes in Japan because they'll understand the Japanese market better. 
And they used to make their stuff in New Zealand and they're like, fuck New Zealand. We're going to make our stuff in Vietnam where Nike makes theirs because it's cheaper. This is like one reason I'm not a huge fan of investing into anything really apparel. I feel like apparel companies are kind of like uh, musicians. 85, 90% of them will come and go. Like you will either hit the market and crush it or you will really struggle to acquire customers or you're just really bad at marketing, but your product's phenomenal. And so it just takes, it's not that you're bad at marketing. It's just that it doesn't hit. Like uh, what's an example of one that hit? Like Everlane, when Everlane came to market, it hit yeah. and, it, and it worked, right? But then you look at something like Aritzia. Aritzia had this slow build over decades and you know they had a great product. They were just, they didn't hit at first, but they grew into it. Then you have like a Mad Happy, which just always hits. Anyways, I think a lot of apparel, it's like, you know, either it does really, really well or it's like a slow grind. And some people will just never see the success of that slow grind because it takes too long. The other thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know how there's all these like healthy adaptogenic feng shui beverages you can drink? Yeah, I think you're that drinking one your- right now. Well, right. Yeah. Right now I'm drinking the banana cream Olipop, which okay. is kind of yeah, probiotic <laughs> soda. That's right. Um, uh, but these guys actually went, they completed what I'm about to say, which is like, there is a point in the market where your better for you Gatorade that has adaptogens and mushrooms and all this shit in it, the market just punches you in the face because it doesn't taste good. And in apparel, it's like, you know, in that sense, you have to go from, all right, we're, we're going to be this like mission driven, stick to our guns to like, all right, well, if we want to sell in Walmart, we actually need to taste like fruit punch because that's what that consumer is looking for. And I feel like Allbirds is still on the front side where they're like, no, we're this San Francisco and sustainable and this and that. But they haven't just hit the, you know, like what looks good? What do people actually want to wear? It's definitely not this. And I'm sure they could figure out a way where their sustainability or their identity as a brand carries forward in a much cooler design. But I feel like the market's just punching them in the face and trying to tell them like, hey, your shit sucks. It looks really bad. No one cares to wear this. And if you want to survive, you kind of need to change. You can't just keep harping on the fact that, you know, you're just a, a, a Rothy's knockoff. I think the analogy to musicians is a really apt one. Like it's hard to be the Beatles. Like the Beatles are like Nike, right? Always around, always relevant, generation agnostic. They're around. It's really easy to have a one hit wonder and be like, I had product market fit on this one product and apparel and I cannot find that again. That happens all the time. I'm not sure if it's happened to Allbirds. You know, they've changed their business a lot. Like first, they're abandoning stores. I think two, three years ago, if you asked them, they'd be like, stores are the only thing we care about. Like stores are what we're going to become like Nike or Warby Parker and build a bunch of stores. And I, you know, to be clear, I don't know them. Per, like, you know, I don't really know them personally. And I, all of this information is just what I've gleaned from like uh, PR reports and their 10K. But they're like, stores are not our future anymore, which is really interesting. They always talk about New Zealand, and now they're going to go make stuff in Vietnam. They never discounted. I think you and I have talked about this in the past. They never sent out a Black Friday email with a discount on their product. Now they've got a sale tab sitting. Like if you go to allbirds.com, there's a sale right in their menu. Yeah. And they have the ability to buy like partially used shoes. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. And I like that. I like that mentality of like, they're like, hey, we're all about sustainability. We want to be able to sell you you like gently used products but i thought that was really interesting that they're like you know so a couple other things that i want to highlight after reviewing their 10k they're doing a big write down of their first generation apparel it's not worth they're like basically doesn't resonate with people they wrote off 20 million dollars of inventory and they have really high landed call i think a lot of businesses are suffering from this and i wanted to mention this basically you uh when you import something from china or india or new zealand or vietnam you build in the cost of the freight into your cost of goods sold. So let's say you're let's say you have this pen, and I imported this pen from China. Well, it cost me ten cents for the pen, but it cost eighty cents to ship it over. So the pen actually cost me ninety cents. So a lot of companies, including Allbirds, basically have a lot of products that they imported when those container rates were really high, and they're like, "Wow, the landed cost of this product is really high." They got to work through it because they imported it when containers were twenty five thousand dollars per container. Now the container is back to $3,000. You know, those landed costs will come down as they work through old inventory. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, it makes total sense. Have you, uh, like, 
acquiring a business, would the acquirer pay that 80 cents tax or no? They would say, look, we're going to value your inventory. Like it would be a negotiation as to how much they value your inventory. If you're turning through it quickly, you know, you value it at fair market value. So for instance, if you have two months of inventory, yeah, if you have two months of this inventory, yeah, I'll pay you 80 cents on the dollar because I'm going to work through it really quickly. If you have six, you know, I uh, I bought this business and a couple products, they had like 18 years of inventory because they just wasn't selling. And I was like, look, I can't pay you a dollar for dollar on this inventory. You have 18 years worth of it. I'll never sell it. You know, like I'll be dead before this stuff is sold. So you got to write off a bunch of this. I'm not paying you for 18 years worth of it. I'll pay you for max. I, I think I should have said six months. I think I ended up saying a year. It's a while ago, uh, so I don't remember. But like, yeah. maybe I'll pay you for a year of it because this is how much we'll sell in the year. But I'm not going to pay you for 18 years worth because you pay like you have too much. Similarly, if you have too much, I wouldn't pay for those high-landed costs. You've got 12 years of white shoes. I'm not going to pay you for 12 years of it. I'll pay you for six months. The rest you got to write off because this doesn't work. I'm just looking at the Skechers stock. Skechers has gone up since Allbirds came out. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Almost everybody actually has gone up in their category except them. I mean, look, I think early on, uh, they were getting such a high valuation. Like, you know, Crocs? Crocs was selling like $800 million of shoes and valued at $800 million. And Allbirds was selling like $200 million of shoes and valued at $4 billion. The price of Crocs stock went up because they're like, Look, our valuation, we're in the category where some guy's doing 200 million and valued at 4 billion. We're doing 4X that revenue and we're valued at one fourth of that stock valuation. Yeah. Uh, so I think theirs has gone up. One more thing I want to talk about and then we can change subjects is On Shoes. They just released oh, earnings yes. today. On Shoes oh, yeah. released earnings today. Their stock is up 25%. They were a $6 billion market cap company. Today, now they're an $8 billion market cap company. They saw a 92% jump in fourth quarter revenue. So while Allbirds saw sales decrease in fourth quarter revenue, On saw a 92% increase. Their full year revenue was $1.3 billion, up 70% from the prior 12 months. And they finally made money. Their net income was $62 million. So On is the exact opposite of Allbirds. I really thought all Allbirds and Ons were like comparable. And now it's clear that On is winning the market. Did it explain like what were some of the biggest drivers of the growth? They announced earnings earlier today, so I haven't dug into everything. The one thing I would say is that, like, I think they're doing a really good job with their, like, Roger Federer line. Like, you know, yeah, they, that was the first thing that came to mind for me was like, they they were put on the map for Fed, with uh, Federer's Federer. partnership. Yeah. And Federer is so invested in that partnership from everything I see he, he does content wise outside of just the campaign shoot. Like, he's even posting other on running athletes on his Instagram and tagging them and what. Wow. Um, wow. And so they also kind of similar to Hoka. They feel like over the last maybe year, everybody in New York is wearing Lululemon leggings with either on running shoes or Hoka's. Hoka's is owned by like some private equity firm. And I was reading about it a while ago. And Hoka basically is like the entire growth of that private equity firm's portfolio because all of a sudden everyone who's running is like, yeah, Hoka, I don't think they look very good, but they are a brand statement of like, I'm fit and I care about running. Yeah, it's just another good example too of like some things take forever to hit and then when they hit, they hit. Yeah. But anyway, On and Allbirds are having opposite experiences in the stock market and opposite experiences in actual business performance. And it's really crazy to watch because I think like a few years ago, everyone was like, should Nike buy Allbirds? Now I'm like, should On buy Allbirds? Or should On sell, you know, On is the winner of this uh, category of like new startup shoes, at least like big brands. And I wonder what happens to Albert. Albert's is now a sub $200 million company. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like uh, almost a 95% drop in valuation in less than 18 months. Nick, I know we always harp on how important it is to optimize your mobile experience. Two months after a streetwear brand Rip and Dip launched their app, total sales increased by 53.2% and then another 43% the next month. App users have proven they're more diehard fans, they have higher conversion rates, a higher revenue per session, they're more likely to convert, have more lifetime value versus mobile and desktop web. Limited supply listeners can get two months free at tapcart.com slash limited. Oh, let's change topics. Uh, what were the two things you wanted to cover? You said there was a bit multi-billion dollar business no one's ever heard of. And what was the other thing? The other one was the uh, the world's favorite accessible superhero. Okay, let's start with that one. Who's the world's favorite accessible superhero? 
Okay. So this guy is so smart. He built so much fame and then basically vertically integrated all the pieces around him, mainly with like a studio. And this man, his name is Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. He just sold Mint Mobile. Yeah. He bought a quarter of Mint Mobile a couple of years ago. And keep in mind, Mint Mobile is very similar to, uh, it's called a mobile virtual network operator, which means it doesn't own the network, but it operates on the T-Mobile network. Other companies that do this, Metro Fi. Yeah, Metro PCS, Google Fi does this with T-Mobile. Visible does this with Verizon. Spectrum, which is the shittiest, and Xfinity, the shittiest internet companies in the world. They do this on Verizon. So anyways, this is basically a, think of it as like a direct-to-consumer brand. But instead of selling you body care, they sell you network. So he bought a quarter of the company in 2016. Before that also, remember, he had Aviation Gin, which sold to Diageo. You know, this guy, the reason I say he's the, the accessible superhero, this guy is, you know, he's the sexiest man alive. He's rich. He's ripped. He's the biggest movie star. You know, you're supposed to hate this guy. But people love this guy because he's like, he's, he's just him everywhere. That's actually been their biggest lever of growth is the way that they do marketing is just very riot. Like, I don't know if you've seen Mint Mobile commercials or like- Oh, yeah, number amazing. They are phenomenal. Yeah. It's such a good example of how to be on brand without having to have everything be so polished and buttoned up. So anyways, this guy basically came in. You know, he claimed to do all of the stuff, customer service and the unsexy things. But realistically, this guy basically was just an idea machine for Mint Mobile. His entire like concept was really interesting. It's the same underlying concept that makes for viral content or any kind of feel-good story, which is how do we how do we position David versus Goliath here? And how do we get the people who feel like David to join in and jump on our bandwagon? And so he had this whole thing of like, it's us versus big wireless. And, you know, they charge you X, Y, and Z. Don't worry. We've been there. You know, we want to help you make sure we get the best thing. His commercials were so good. I remember one where he's like, we spent $42 on this commercial because <laughs> yeah. uh, we are too cheap to spend more. We're trying to pass along savings to you. So here's this cheap, shitty animation that we purchased for $42 on like Shutter Stop. Yeah. And another great one recently was, uh, you know, he was like, we bought this 30 second spot, but we couldn't afford it. So this is the ad for Mint Mobile and now over to you. And it was like Jack in the Box or something. And really, you know, it was like we shared the ad budget with Jack in the Box because we wow. couldn't afford the whole thing. That's so and, cool. um, Yeah, it really is. And they do crazy things. Like, you know, there was a baseball player. I may have mentioned this in earlier season. There was a baseball player who had like a 20, some, some contract where he was getting paid over the next 25 years with interest accruing yeah, yeah, if yeah. the thing went up. So, you know, on like the day where he gets paid every year, Ryan Reynolds runs this campaign where it's like, you can get 25 years of Mint Mobile network service for $2,500, which is insanely cheap. That's like $8 a month, basically. So I ended up buying it. I think I was like one of 40 people who bought it. And I'm hoping that at the end of the 25 years, we're all going to get dinner with Ryan together. You bought 25 uh, years of cell phone service for $2,500 in one transaction? One transaction, yeah. Wow. And it's so, does it, is the service good? Yeah, it's on T-Mobile. Team, so the, the other thing that people don't realize is like, there's two kind of network types. There's one that Verizon, I don't know the names of them, but there's one that like Verizon and I think AT&T use, where basically their strategy is they're going to buy cell towers around the country. They're going to fix them up. They're going to buy them and uh, they're going to use them to operate. What T-Mobile does is they don't buy cell towers. They just lease them. So other companies have cell towers they put up and they're like, oh, hey, you're in a better area. We're going to take this and we're going to take the other five around. We're just going to lease it. So that's why their service is so good. Anyways, so I thought the brilliant part of his deal and just his marketing is a couple things. One, he has his own studio. So he has a studio uh, production agency called Maximum Effort. This guy is basically vertically integrated. It's the equivalent of having like a creative team in-house or like a studio in-house for your brand. And the other cool part is like, you know, his deal with T-Mobile, like maximum efforts making money for the next, you know, 100 years with this acquisition deal for sure. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. The other one was just like the, the leverage you can have when it comes to kind of like standing apart. You know, everybody has the same types of imagery. Everybody has the same type of headlines. If you go to the top 10 spending ads on our brands on Facebook, 
They follow the same exact kind of frameworks. And this guy was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm doing it. The com- whatever, however I would want it as a kid, I, that's what I'm going to do. And I thought both those things were pretty interesting. I think that's really interesting. I think it's also interesting how much influencers can make or break. Like we were just talking about On Shoes and Roger Federer. I think Roger Federer owns like 3% of On Shoes at this point. So interesting how much influence a celebrity. I think it's really difficult to get a celebrity to actually be the face of your brand. But if you can get them to be a face of the brand with a ton of equity buy-in, you know, you can do amazing things. I, I think that's less true of like skincare than it is these other products today. Yeah, I agree. The, the biggest lever I've seen that makes or breaks a celebrity brand is like, how much is this person willing to post about the company or yeah. create content? It's not even like yeah. posts. It's like creating content and actually being a part of it versus just, you know, a one-off campaign or like, just, you know, the title of co-founder, chief creative, whatever kind of like bubbled up title they get. Yeah. Are they involved in the marketing of it or is it just sort of like they're the face of it and that you can use, they do a photo shoot with you once every six months, in which case it's pretty useless. They really have to like buy into it and you've got to create marketing built around that person's personality and not the opposite way. Like, you know, Min Mobile is now Ryan Reynolds' personality. It's not like they're like, we got Ryan Reynolds and he went on TV and did some stuff. He's like, this is, we molded our business around his personality, not the opposite way. For Exactly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing for him. I think he made like $300 million on that deal. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Let's switch gears to two other random things I want to chat about. One is Blank Street raised $20 million. Did you see this? Damn. I did not. They just announced it. They say that on average, their stores are 350 square feet. I just saw this. They raised... I don't, I have no thoughts about this. I'm presenting it without uh, opinion. So they raised $20 million last year. In 2021, they had raised $67 million. They said in this uh, article that I read about the, their fundraise, on average, their stores are 350 square feet. They said that 25% of sales are now cold brew, which is it. Uh, you and I have been there. You, I think you always get the cold brew from there. I'm still a hot coffee drinker, but yeah, you get the cold brew. They say all of their stores have been profitable on a per unit basis within a month of opening. I'm not sure really what they mean by that. Like, what does per unit basis mean? Um, but I'd be shocked if Blunt Through is profitable at this point. Um, yeah. we talk- I-, I was talking about the cold brew actually for a second. Starbucks says more than half of their products, I think I read this a while ago. So don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure they said more than half of their sales are cold beverages today, not uh, hot beverages, which is pretty crazy because, like, you know, think of Starbucks as a coffee joint, like more than half are cold beverages. That is fascinating. I remember I, I did. So I started seeing Blake Street pop up. You know, it's it started by an Indian guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, no, we got to have that price. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I looked into their numbers. Disclosure. This yeah, is yeah, the same race as us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have every incentive to make sure this wins. No. So I did. I remember seeing their uh, membership signs pop up. And also they have a mobile app, which is so good. I don't know if you've used their app or like you're a member. Yeah. Yeah. They have a beautiful, it's like a, it's, it really is like they've built out a very good tech team to like support this. It's not like they just hired somebody random. Yeah. Two of the things they, one thing they said was they're like, they're trying to figure out a way to do breakfast. Like they have one machine that literally does everything right now. It's called like an every sis or whatever. They're like, you want hot coffee? You hit a button. You want cappuccino? Hit another Everything is just one machine. So it's not like Starbucks where they actually have like one machine and the barista is doing something here. It's like we, it's like basically a little bit of a bending machine, which I'm not a huge fan of, but the coffee's great and they're around everywhere. Uh, I also see a lot of times if you have the app, they're like, get a free coffee today or like stop by and get, do you, do you see a lot of that? Yeah. And, and they also have the, the breakfast tacos, which a lot of times, like if you go in near the end of breakfast time, they'll just give it to you. Wow. Yeah. I think the app is a great way for them to also like, I don't know what the right thing is, but like, you know how you, you want to, you know, you want to show a high returning customer rate. You know what a great way to do that is high discounts like this, like GoPuff. I use, I use GoPuff whenever I'm in New York city. I usually use that. And they're like $20 off a $25 order right now. And I'm like, okay, you have not made, you are not making money on this, but you're willing to do that because you're going to, you're like trying to juice your stats. I don't know anything about Blank Street Coffee. So I don't know if they're doing that or not, but like, I'd be shocked if GoPuff wasn't. Yeah, I think also the GoPuff thing, that it mentally you're like, oh, wait, I'm getting 20 bucks off. Okay, so that means I should order $45 worth of stuff and it's only going to cost me 25 And I'm sure it does something with, with their AOV where it just jacks right up and maybe they're like break even on some of those. 
you're right. I'm sure they're break even on some of them, but I'm sure they're take like, you know, 20 to for $25 is an insane, like generally grocery companies are in the single digit margins. It is a really competitive cutthroat business. These guys are delivered. Like, you know, I remember go, uh, getting like coffee delivered, like coffee beans. Yeah, these coffee beans cost you 13 cents. Some guy delivered yeah. them, you paid a tip, all of that ended up costing 13 cents. I was like, this is an amazing deal. You can't make money at this. So their their membership is basically $12 a week, which sounds so much better than $48 a month because that sounds outrageous for morning coffee. Yeah. But $12 a week sounds pretty good. So with that, you get free cold brew, free tea, free hot coffee. Yeah. You get one every one two items for every two hours. Yeah. Then if you get an espresso-based drink, you get uh, charged basically $1 per shot in the drink. So if you have a cortado with one shot, it's a dollar. If you have a, a, tr- a triple shot latte, that's basically $3. Then you get free delivery of the coffee. Uh, you get free delivery? On orders okay. over $5. Okay. Keep in mind that that's $5 when each shot equals $1. So that's multiple okay, drinks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't find that to be a very compelling, like, you know, Pret in New York City, I remember they had this thing where they're like, $10 a month, free coffee. Come in every morning and get a free coffee. And I think it was like $12 a month. And it's like the, the gym model or the Planet Fitness model. Yeah, but that, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, Pret coffee is good. They're everywhere. And like $10 a month versus $12 a week is a lot. $50? It is a lot. That's insane. Man. That, like, you know, uh... Yeah, that makes me think I need to go, uh, you know, you know what, the, like, if you want to be rich, stop ordering lattes or coffees. I'm like, okay, maybe maybe this is why, because I'm spending $50 a month with Blank Street. So then they also give you two times the points per order, which just sounds sounds good. Uh, you get 20% off. That's what they advertise. But in the fine print, it's 20% off coffee, beans, and merch, which are probably both just high margin items. So essentially for $1.60 a day, if you normally drink a latte every morning and pay four bucks, you can use Blank Street to get that latte for two sixty because you have a dollar sixty for the membership and a dollar for the espresso shot. Yeah, have you seen those commercials where they're like, for a dollar a day, save this like animal or save the you know? I oh, I have. Seen for a dollar sixty a day, make this Indian person rich. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we took over tech companies. We're coming for caffeine. Yeah. Hey, and you know uh, what else happened this last week? Starbucks and uh, uh, put in a new CEO who's also an Indian guy. No layer up. Yeah, he's not. There's an Indian guy running Starbucks. Oh, I remember this news. Yeah, this was this was announced a few months ago, right? Yeah, yeah. He just started his first week. I think his first day was yesterday, actually. Interesting. But, you know, I, I love playing street. I love that it's all over. I really like the idea of, like, you know, Starbucks' idea was like, hey, we are the third location. Like, you know, Howard Schultz always says, you socialize at home, the office, and we want to be the third location, which is Starbucks. Blank Street issues that. They're like, yeah, you have your home, you have your office, we're to go pick up location. You walk in, there's often no seats, you just get your coffees from an app and you're gone. Um, so it's almost like, you know, genuine vending machines that they've got going on. Um, totally. I really, I, I like the idea. I'm not sure, you know, I had, uh, obviously I don't know any of the numbers except what was in this article and which I've uh, publicized here, um, but interesting model. I don't know if it could work. I don't know if this kind of stuff is VC backable, but I hope it is. Yeah, I hope it works too. I mean, their coffee tastes pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let, let me say one more thing for one second, then we'll switch to your last topic. Uh, Lisa Mattresses announced that they were acquired. You know Lisa Mattresses? Of course. They were acquired by some like vertically integrated manufacturer of mattresses, or I should say some manufactured mattresses, now owns the uh, name Lisa as well. Uh, it's called 3Z. Uh, Lisa's raised $32 million, at least according to Crunchbase. I'm not sure if they've raised less or more than that. Or I'm sorry, I'm not sure if they've raised more than that, but at least $32 million. And um, no terms disclosed. I have no idea what this business sold for, but I feel like all of the mattress businesses are like having a tough time. So I'm not sure what it sold for, but hopefully they did well. I'm going to try to text David and see if he'll give me the number. Okay. Uh, David's the guy who runs Lisa? He started Lisa. Okay, yeah, 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 you got to. Awesome. I hate when brands don't announce their price. I know. What's interesting is when I met with uh, Neil, the Casper founder in New York, he one thing he mentioned was like, we basically built this in, this super deep and integrated and basically like from scratch supply chain to sell mattresses in a box. And then all these other companies came around and they were just basically drop shipping, which when you think about this 3Z brands, 
they own basically, you know, a handful of mattress companies, they're probably just going to start doing the same thing. I wonder how much their margins are going to be cut or actually rather increased yeah, yeah. just for yeah. this acquisition. I'm sure quite a bit. And yeah, I think that like Casper built their own. I think they're like, you know, it's hard because I think when Casper started, they're like, look, we're, we've created a differentiated product here. And so we need to own quality. And today I'm like, if you, if you said, what's the difference between Casper and Lisa at Tuft and Needle? I'd probably- Yeah, it's hard to say. I'm not sure I could tell the difference. Like, you know, it's the difference between Pepsi and Coke. Right. Something is different, but like drink enough, you know, in a taste test, it's a little hard to tell. Totally. What was that publicly traded company or that business that you said is worth billions? Yeah. Speaking of Indian CEOs. All right. So there's a company. I'm going to let you guess. I'm going to give you some facts. Valued at $3 billion, they are sold in over 80 countries. They employ more than 1,500 people. In 2019, they generated over a billion dollars. It's a multi-generational family business. You have eaten this product for years, probably. Any guesses as to what this is? Goya chick beans. Goya. So close. Am I? You're so close. Okay, so something in that, like, you know how they sell like the masala in those things? I don't know if everyone has the same brand, like, like the tin orangish one. It's like a little orangish, like all Indian people have that masala. Yeah. No, tell me what it is. It's Haldiram. Okay. Gotcha. It is basically so it's it's an Indian snack company for those people, if you know, for all the white people listening. <laughs> <laughs> they have over 410 products. So the other night I was just you know, before I I uh I went to bed, I just I was just, all right, I'll have a, a bite of this. And I'm, I'm like chewing it and I'm like, damn, why is there nothing else that exists like Holy Ram in the market when over the last, you know, two, three years, probably you have all these Asian companies, you know, black owned brands, black owned businesses took off, Asian owned uh, AAPI founder owned brands, Amsam, Imi, Sanzo took off, you know, where are the Indians at? And I couldn't think of a reason as to why there is not a company like this, you know, Indian snack brand. It, it doesn't even have to be that innovative. That's the other thing. It just has to be what Imi did, which is, okay, the same flavors, except this is not going to give you heartburn in the morning when you wake up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I thought, like, this has got to exist. Dude, that's a great, it's a great idea. All of this packaging is meant for, like, my parents. And I'm not even sure if it's meant for my parents. I think it's meant for their parents. Their parents, yeah. Like, this is like, uh, if you were alive during the partition between India and Pakistan, this is the packaging for you. Uh, but you're right. Like, why does this why does this not exist in a more consumable way for 21st century consumers? It totally should. If anybody wants to do this, let me know. Also, interesting fun fact, their owner <laughs> was sentenced to life in prison for trying to murder. <laughs> Hold on. It gets better. For trying to murder somebody who was basically a tea vendor because he was getting in the way of a location they were trying to open because they also owned cafes and stuff. So he was like, wow. oh, you're not going to, I'm just going to kill you. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad he's in prison forever. Yeah. This is the worst website I've ever seen in the world. It's it so bad. Uh, you know, it says taste the tradition. And then at the top, there's a yellow uh, like banner, like where you'd write uh, free shipping. Yeah. If you uh, stay long enough, it says, caution, beware of fraud. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't want to put either website, caution, beware of fraud. Yeah. Like, what kind of, uh, who is the, who is doing this? I mean, like, they probably have zero sales on here. Right. Um, but it says, delivering Pan India, Haldiram, the taste of tradition. Are you on their website right now at the time? Yeah. It says, caution, beware of fraud. We do not accept and encourage online payments. With respect to super stockist distributorship franchisee. It makes zero sense. <laughs> I don't they, even know what you're talking They're basically about. telling people, hey, don't, don't give stuff. us your yeah, don't yeah, give yeah. us your card. We're gonna steal it. Yeah. Uh and you know, the the best part is they couldn't care like if you told the CEO, hey, your website says caution, beware of fraud, he'd be like, I don't even care. Yes. I have one sale there every week. It could say, caution, this stuff will give you diarrhea and heartburn and <laughs> At least they'd be that Indian. caution should be with all Indian. He's like, but that caution goes with all Indian. That's <laughs> the law. It's the law. We know it. That's so funny. But yeah, like there's no, there's also no Panda Express of Indian food, 
which I, I always felt was like, a, I mean, who doesn't want a quick butter chicken naan on the go? There's some like, there's small chains. Same thing with like the Indian grocery stores. There's yeah. obviously small ones based yeah. in the community. Tall Brothers. But yeah, but like nobody's really been like, okay, how do we go and, you know, do something like that for the Indian market? Yeah, I'm not sure why, because I feel like, you know, Chipotle is a gr- like, how come they can't build Chipotle, like Blaze Pizza, just Chipotle pizza? Right. Why can we not do that for Indian food? It might be because it's so heavy that like no one wants to eat it for lunch, or it might just be like nobody's gotten it right. The other thing that I saw in New York sometimes I get is like there's an Indian pizza place where there'll be like chicken tikka masala, or maybe it was an essa. I think that's chicken tikka masala pizza, and it was delicious. Yeah, which by the way, putting Trader Joe's chicken tikka masala on a frozen pizza is one of the best life hacks ever. Great idea, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure why uh, we don't do that more often or why the like, Indian community has not gotten this right. I asked, uh, do you know Snigda who founded the Juggernaut? Uh, no. So I asked her, she's insanely plugged in to us brown community folks. And uh, she was like, you know, it's just a brown guy looks at that or a brown gal looks at that and is like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just go into tech. This is a lot of work. <laughs> for, for what it's worth, they're right. Uh, and I do know the juggernaut. I'm sorry. I, I took me a moment to remember what that was. Um, yeah, that's true. It is a lot of work. But like, you know, we're here. We're doing everything now. We're in consumer. Before, when you had a vote, you like Starbucks. CTO of Dropbox. Yeah, now we've got, and like MasterCard. Now we've got Starbucks. We're coming for you. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing. So Haldi Drum is worth $3 billion. It's publicly traded. Um, that I'm not sure. Okay, no, it just sounds worth three billion somewhere. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's topping one billion in sales. Okay, yeah, I see it on FinancialExpress.com. This yeah, Indian website that makes it. <laughs> it's actually just uh, regurgitated from a WhatsApp group. <laughs> uh, well, fantastic. Yeah, that's it. We got to run for. See, this is the last episode. This is it, man. All right, everybody needs to get in on Slack. Yeah, limitedsupplypod.com. Should we, uh, what should we do? Should we Should we do a raffle? Should we throw some prize money? Should we just drop like five grand? The first- I'm game. The first like thousand people to get in or get a coffee on us. How about that? I'm game to do that or I'm game to say of the first thousand people that join, we're going to pick one random guy and give them $5,000. I like that. $5,000. I'm game to do either. All right, let's, let's do that. that. Yeah, that, let's do that's a big one. Uh, of the first thousand people that join, we're gonna pick one person, him or her. She's gonna win a thousand dollars. We'll figure out a way to pick them, and that'll be a ton of fun. Sweet. All right, guys, we'll see you in Slack. That's a wrap for season three. We'll be back soon. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one. 